Amen. Are you ready for the word this morning? Amen. You know, um, Miranda was one of the ones in the video there, and I had the opportunity just this past Friday to do the funeral service for her grandmother, who was a longtime member of this church, Mary McMillian. And, uh, you know, funerals are, among other things, they're, they're harsh reminders of the reality that all of life is a stewardship test. That, that nothing that, that we own is going to be ours for long. In just a few short years, somebody else is going to possess it. Uh, the, the property that you own, it used to belong to somebody else before it belonged to you. And you came into this world naked and with nothing. And you're going to leave that way. And, and it's a reminder to me of the reality that life is a stewardship test. All that we have and all we possess is going to come down to one question when we stand before God. And the question will be, how did you handle what I gave you? How did you handle what I gave you? The resources, the time, the talents, the abilities, the opportunities. Did you squander those things or did you leverage them? How did you handle what I gave you? And I just want to say today in this sixth week of our series, I love my church by giving. I love my church by giving. And one of the reasons I do is because it's not just my church. And I recognize that all of life is a stewardship test. And as much as I've inherited blessing from the previous generation, I want to leave something for the next one. And I want it to be filled with more than scrapbooks and stories. So I want to invest. I want to sow in to what God is doing. And I want to not just sow into what I can receive, but I want to sow into what God will do in the years to come. I can promise you, when this foundation was poured and the framework went up, you were not in the minds specifically of some of those founding members. But you were in their heart. They didn't know your name. Maybe you weren't a part of this community. Maybe you weren't even born yet. But they poured the foundation and they made the space that they made because they expected that God would continue to do things beyond their years. I'm thankful that they built it well. They didn't build it for just 20 years. To say, well, it'll last for us. No. They had future in mind. And that's what God's called us to do. To have our future in mind. And I'm not just talking about uh, just specifically the church and us giving to the church and what the church does together. I'm talking about even in your life. Living for a, a vision that is bigger than your lifetime. It's a tough question to, to ask yourself, but I, I would encourage you to do it. That you just say, is there anything that I'm really spending my life energy in that's going to matter when I'm gone? Is there anything that I'm doing that, it, that is worth, that is, that is lasting? That, that is, that is going to matter after the service and everybody comes back to the church and eats potato salad and talks about me and is there anything from my life at that point that's going to matter anymore? God's given us incredible opportunities to be stewards in our relationships, our time, our talent, and of course, with our resources as well. God's called us to pass something on. I read a story uh, that Philip Lovejoy tells, and he says this. He said, I shall never forget a ride that I took in the early days of 1955. A lumber merchant, friend of mine, drove me in a jeep up Mount Cushman in Vermont. Near the tip of the mountain, I noticed some six-inch deciduous seedlings. And I asked him this question. 
when will that be good lumber? And he replied, in the year 2015 A.D. Remember, it was early 1955 when he asked the older gentleman. And so he replied, since it was that far beyond his lifespan, why would you even plant these trees? And the man's answer stuck with him. He said, because my grandfather planted some on the other side of the mountain for me. That's what it means to have a vision that's bigger than your lifetime. To know that not everything we give is given with the motivation of getting something right back. But that we can sow seeds that are going to bear a harvest in the years and the days to come. And that's why I can say, uh, without reservation, that when we sow into the kingdom of God, when we sow into what God is doing, you know, Jesus is only building one thing. He said, I'm building my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we sow into the building of the kingdom of God, we have a guarantee on our return. Now people often say, you can't get something for nothing. But we have a guarantee on our return that, that God is going to utilize those resources to expand His kingdom. It may or may not be in our lifetime. But we're called to have a vision that's bigger than our generation. Have you ever heard the quote that people say money is the root of all evil? Have you heard people say that? Well, can I tell you, that's a misquote. That's a partial scripture. And I've heard people say that all my life. Money is the root of all evil. And uh, it, it, people get nervous, you know, when you start talking about money. But I want to show you the verse of scripture. It's in 1 Timothy. I want you to look at this verse with me. If you want to use one of the Bibles we have there in the pew backs, you can do that. If you have your own translation, follow along. I'm in the NIV version. And we'll put the scriptures up on the screen here for you as well. I want you to see this verse in 1 Timothy. It's in chapter 6. And Paul the Apostle is giving instruction to young Timothy. And he, he writes these words. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now just process that. Doesn't that sound a lot different than money is the root of all evil? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In other words, money isn't in and of itself evil. And money is not the root of all evil. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then he explains what can happen when our priorities get askewed and we love money too much. He says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, it's funny. I hear people say, well, you know, all the church wants is your money. Listen, that's not true. All Walmart wants is your money. Okay. That's the truth. The Bible communicates to us a lot about money. You know, money is, not only is it not in itself evil, it's necessary. In our culture, it's critical. I mean, you understand that, that we need to not only have it, but we need to manage it well. We need to keep control of our possessions and make sure that our possessions don't keep control of us. Any area of your life that is not completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ can potentially control you. In fact, there's another verse I want to look at real quick. I didn't give you this in my notes, but it's in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 tells the story of a 
of a man who's described as the rich young ruler. That's a guy who's got it all. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. He's got authority, he's got power, he's got influence, he's got his health, everything you could ever want. And the Bible says that he approached Jesus one day. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says he approached Jesus and he said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus responded, first of all, he said, Why do you call me good? Which I don't have time to to talk about all that, but it was a good thing to call him good. Jesus was basically saying, only God is good, but since you call me good, maybe you understand that I am God. But he just kind of foreshadowed that and said, why do you call me good? There is only one good, it's God, for if you want to enter life, keep the commands. And the guy says, which ones? Don't you love that? That's how some people come to church. Like, which ones do I have to keep to still be good? I don't want to keep them all. But just, just like, just shoot straight with me. Technically speaking, which ones do I have to keep? That, 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 was, what, that was the guy's heart. You know, which ones? There's a lot of people that, that live that way, but that's for another time. He said, which ones do I have to keep? And Jesus started listing them, you know, just from the top ten. You know, do not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. These are all like six through ten of the Ten Commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these things, the young man says, I have kept. What do I still lack? There must have been an uncertainty in his heart. He said, you know what? I did all those things. That's the reason I'm asking you this question. Because I still don't feel like, I don't feel like it's right. Not everything feels right with me and God. So, you know, maybe there's a, a seventh one on the list I don't know about. But what do I have to do? And then Jesus does something incredible. That only Jesus can do. And by the way, the Spirit of God wants to do that to us when we open our hearts to Him. He cuts right to the core issue for us. The Holy Spirit, like a, like a scalpel in a surgeon's hand, can go right to the place where there's cancer in our spirit. And that's what Jesus does. He responds to this man in verse 21. He says, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Now look at this. It says in verse 22, When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Can I just say this? The Bible doesn't say this here. But I'll say this. If the man didn't have a lot of money, maybe he wasn't uh, upper income, maybe he was middle class, or maybe even lower middle class, I still think he would have went away sad. Because all of life is a stewardship test. It's not about how much you have or how much you don't have. It's about what you do with what you have. And what Jesus did in that moment is he went right to the one issue that this guy felt unsettled about. He knew, without it being verbalized, there's an area of my life that I haven't submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm keeping all the rules, but there's something that I'm holding back. And and Jesus wasn't picking on rich people. He just happened to look at this man who was a rich young ruler, and he said, "Here's the area of your life that you haven't given to God." That's why he said, "Sell your possessions and come follow me." If his issue would have been something else, Jesus would have pointed that something else out. But for this man, the thing that he couldn't let go of, the thing that he couldn't trust God completely with, was his finances. And so Jesus put his finger on the issue, like he does with us. And he left him with a choice. 
either to surrender that to the Lord or to hold back and say, you know what, I'll trust you with every other area of my life, but I got this. I, 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 can't, I can't trust you with my finances. This is something that I have to go at alone. And so this morning, I, I want to I talk about stewardship. If you're still wondering if it's right to talk about money in the church, let me just mention a couple facts with you. Uh, first of all, and I've often heard it said, that if you want to know about a person, uh, just look at their checkbook register. Jesus said it this way. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, the things that matter the most to you are the things you're going to invest in. That's certainly true of our finances. It's true of our time. That, you know, you try, try telling your, your spouse, I love you, I love you, I love you, and never giving them any time. See how that works for you. Because what you invest in shows where your heart is. And no matter what you say, if you don't put any time into that relationship, what's being said is not being heard. Amen? That was free advice, right? Marriage. Some of y'all write that down. That was the marriage sermon. I'm going to move on. But you needed that. It's the same with our money. You look at your register and you can say, well, I can see what matters to me. What I invest in is what matters to me. You know, Jesus told 38 different parables. Do you want to know how many of them had to do with finances and stewardship? 16. One out of every three parables that Jesus taught had to do with how we handle resources. How we steward our finances. The Bible gives us over 500 verses about prayer. It gives us less than 500 verses on faith. But there are 2,350 verses on money and possessions. The Bible has a lot to say about our resources. That's why even though I don't preach entire sermons about money, we do take time every week to emphasize the importance of stewardship because it matters that much. Let me just give you a couple verses rapid fire real quick on the screen. Psalm 24 verse 1. Here's what it says to us. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That just says God owns it all. Can we just say that together? God owns it all. That's what Psalm 24 tells us. It's all his. It was all his from the beginning. It's still all his. But look at what Psalm 8 6 says. It says you made them talking about people you made them rulers over the works of your hands now we know the works of his hands are the earth he formed with his hands you put everything under their feet that means God has given authority over everything that he made with his hands to us now he still owns it all it's all his None of it's yours, none of it's mine, but He's given us authority over it. That's, what a, that's a definition of stewardship. To be responsible for somebody else's possession. So all of life is a stewardship test. And the question that's going to be answered is, what did you do with what I gave you? Look at this scripture with me. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, it tells us the story of, a, it's a parable that Jesus taught about those who would, what the kingdom of heaven would be like. And he, he gives this illustration to communicate how important our stewardship is. And I'll just paraphrase the story a little bit. But Jesus says in about verse 14, 
Again, this is a story about what the kingdom of God is like. Matthew 25. He says, it's going to be like a man on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to one he gave one bag of gold, each according to his ability. Let me just stop and say, I'm glad that God doesn't just give us all the same thing. Because I I couldn't manage what God's gave some of you. He gives it to us according to our ability. And and if God held me responsible for what he's given you, I would sink. I I would go under. But God, Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. He gives to you according to your ability. To one servant, the man gave five bags of gold. To the other, two bags of gold. To the other, one bag of gold. And then the story goes on to say that the man went away. And those men were now stewards of what they were given. Well, the first one who had five bags of gold, he went and deposited it and invested. And he got interest income from it. And it turned into ten. The one who had two did the same thing. He put it in the marketplace. He turned a profit and he took the two bags of gold. And when the servant, uh, when the servant's master came back, he said, your two is now four. But the third servant, the Bible says, did something entirely different. The third servant was afraid. And so he took the one bag of gold that his master had given him and he buried it. He hid it. Now look with me at verse 21 in this story. Because this is the moment that the master comes back and he talks to the servant who had five bags of gold. And now he has ten. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, he had a similar statement to be made for the one who took the two bags and turned it into four but when he got to the man who had squandered what he gave him who took the one bag of gold and hid it away and did nothing profitable with it he cursed the man and had him kicked out of his presence that's that story is is a harsh story but it's a clear picture of what jesus says is the importance of stewardship the reality that one day same way these three servants went and stood before their master, we're going to stand before God. The Bible paints this picture clearly. I'm going to stand before God one day. And when I stand there, here's what I want to hear him say. Well done, good and faithful servant. The words that this master said to this servant, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to hear him make the whole statement to me. I want to hear him say, you have been faithful with a few things I will put you in charge of many things did you know in in some ways heaven's going to be a lot like earth in that we're going to have authority in the same way that God gave us authority over all that he created in this earth God's creating a new heaven and a new earth guess who's going to run it we are he's given us authority and in that moment he's going to look at how we passed or failed the stewardship test I'm not talking about your salvation I'm talking about God looking at your life and going, man, you know what? I didn't make you one of those five talent guys. I mean, there's some people, they can do everything. But I, I, gave, you, I gave you an ability. And I gave you a modest income. But I'm not judging you based on what everybody else did. I'm judging you based on what I gave you. And I found you faithful. With what you had, you were faithful. Because you were faithful with the few things, I'm going to make you ruler 
over many. Can you just imagine how upside down the economy of heaven is going to look from this earth? You know, Jesus said it this way. He said, the least will become the greatest among you. The last will be first. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of a government system you have there under, under the theocracy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can just imagine that some of the poorest people in this world could quite possibly have the most authority in the kingdom of heaven. Because it's not about what you have and what you don't have. It's not about how much somebody else gives or, or any of that. It's about being a steward of what God has given you. And there's a lot of experts about money. You can talk to bankers, financial planners, stockbrokers. You can talk to money managers. You can talk to venture capitalists, CPAs, lawyers. You can get insight from a lot of people about money today. But I just want, with the time that we have left, I want to give you four questions that you ought to ask. And I want to take you to a counselor that I believe has good answers for us about these four questions. This particular man wrote the book on international commerce. The guy that I want us to listen to for a moment. He not only wrote the book on international commerce, but he's one of the world's most wealthiest people. And he's very successful. He's also one of the wisest men that ever lived. His name is Solomon. If you thought I was going to say Donald Trump, you need to turn the TV off. I don't know why that popped into my head, but I, a lot of money, a lot of money, very wealthy. Solomon spoke specifically to how we steward what we have. And I want you to look at it with me. It's in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Just two verses. Verse 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. As I said a moment ago, there's a lot of questions that people ask. You know, how much, how much should I give uh, to the church? Uh, what should I do with my church? Why, uh, why should I even give money uh, to God? I want to give you four questions that I think you should ask. And all four answers are right here in these two verses. The first question is this. What's the purpose of my stewardship? If all of life is a stewardship test, what's the purpose of my stewardship? It's right there in the first verse that we read. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. That's the purpose of stewardship. Yesterday morning at our men's breakfast, I mentioned this verse to you in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That means whatever you do, whether you stay all Saturday and you're, and you're building an a audio booth and a, a tech booth for the church, or, or whether you're, you're out coaching kids on the soccer field or whether you're clocking in at your job and working for an employer that you just you just can't stand you don't work for him you work as unto the lord whatever your hand finds to do you do it as unto the lord all of a sudden even the most simple acts can become acts of worship when we do it as unto the lord that's the purpose of stewardship to honor god when i do everything as unto the Lord, all of a sudden everything becomes an act of worship. It becomes a part of stewardship. I, I read this story this week in, in preparation for today. Years ago, there was a, a young man who started a small cheese business in Chicago. 
he failed. He was in deep debt. He had given up when a friend of his came to him and he said, you didn't take God into your business. You have not worked with Him. So the young man thought about what his friend told him. And he said, if God wants to run the cheese business, I'll let Him run it. He can do it. I'll work for Him. And he changed his thinking about his occupation. If God wants to run it, I'll let Him run it. And I'll work for Him. And from that moment on, God became his partner in business. The business began to grow. The business began to prosper. It became the largest cheese concern in the world. That young man's name is J.L. Kraft. He became the president of the Kraft Cheese Company. It happened when he began to think about what he was doing as an act of stewardship before God. The Bible says in the verse we just read, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Here's the second question. What is the product of my stewardship? The first question was, what is the purpose of it? But what is the product? Look at the verse again. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. That's your possessions. That's the product of stewardship. Now, yes, we need to be good stewards with our time and with our abilities and all of those. But this verse says specifically that we need to honor God with our wealth. Matthew 6, 24 tells us this. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. And Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. They can't both be Lord in your life. You have to serve one or the other. So it's important that we understand that when we give to God, when we support the church or an outreach or, or or we help to spread the gospel by building a community center in Romania what we're doing is is we're honoring God with our wealth the product of our stewardship is our resources the third question is this here's number 3 what's the priority of my stewardship it's in the verse again it says honor the lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. The first fruits. That's the priority. That, that's a phrase that we don't really use today. The first fruits. But what that means is the tithe. The tithe. Tithe is just a word that means 10%. It's a mathematical term. We don't usually hear it outside of the church. And so we just think of it as a, a spiritual term. Or, or maybe lingo for the offering. I don't know why they call it the offering. I don't, why, I don't know why they don't just say pass the collection plate. Why do they say tithe? Because tithe means tenth and it was the first fruits of the offering here's what the the old testament uh prescribed for the children of israel in leviticus 27 in verse 30 it says a tithe 10 percent, of everything from the land whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the lord it is holy to the lord in other words tithe is just a way of putting God first in this specific area of stewardship, our resources. When we, when we give the tithe to the Lord, when we say, God, here's, here's the, the first fruits, not, not the last fruits, not the leftover fruits, but here's the first fruits, Lord, of my, of my life, I give that to you. I, I don't know about you, but I like leftovers. Anybody like leftovers? Anybody like Thanksgiving leftovers? I, mean, I get more excited about the turkey sandwich on day two 
than I do about the turkey coming out of the oven. I mean, I love Thanksgiving leftovers. I eat a lot of leftovers in my house, honestly. You know, because we cook family meals and my girls eat like birds. And so, I eat a lot of leftovers. I'm good with that. I like leftovers. But I'm not going to serve you leftovers. You understand, like, if you come to my house for dinner, I'm not going to break out the Tupperware and be like, what do we got in here? Yep. It passed the sniff test. We're good. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to honor you. You understand? When, when you come to my house, I'm, we're going to make something. Or we're going to order something. But it's going to be fresh. Because it's a sign of honor. Right? I mean, now if you invite me to your house and we eat leftovers, I'll eat it. But I'll notice. We're like, really? Alright. It's good. It's cool. I, I can eat leftovers. But when we serve the first fruits, you know, when we bring out the, the, the fresh packaged meat from the grocery store and we throw that on the ground, it speaks of honor. And that's why God deserves the first fruits. We don't get to the end of our week and go, well, anything left in the bank account? We, should we do something this week? That, that's, the tithe is not a 10%, it's the first 10%. And when you come to the Lord's house with the first fruits, it's your way of honoring God. It's the priority of stewardship. The Bible says this in Exodus 23, 19. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, you were with me until I got to the second half of that verse. I know it. And then you were like, what? Like, that should have been a separate verse, right? They shouldn't have run those two together. I mean, when I read that, I was like, okay, I'm with you. We're talking about tithing this morning. Bring the best. That means, by the way, that means like if you were a farmer and you were bringing your crops, you don't like find all the the rotten crops or the ones that don't look that good and pick those first knowing that you're giving the first fruits to the Lord and then pick the better stuff later. He was like, no, you bring the best of the first fruits to the Lord. The soil of your house for the Lord your God. And then it's the same verse. I'm sorry, I couldn't cut it in half. The same verse, next sentence. Do not cook a young goat's a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, I got to be honest. I read that verse. I've read that before, but when I came back to it this week, I was like, why? Like, because I'm going to put that verse on the screen and everybody's going to see the second half. So if I just read the top half, everybody's going to scratch their head and go, why didn't he say anything about boiling a goat in its mother's milk? That was, that's in the verse too. And I, honestly, I thought that had nothing to do with your tithe. But in reality, it has everything to do with the tithe. So he, here's, here's what was going on. It was an Egyptian tradition steeped in mysticism that they would boil a goat a young kid in its mother's milk and and they would take the 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 gravy they would take that and they would sprinkle it on their crops and they would pray and believe that that little incantation that that uh magical process would bless them with a good harvest And so here's what God's saying. He's saying, you want to know how to be blessed? Put that verse back up there. You want to know how to be blessed? He said, bring the first fruits of your crops to the Lord. If you want to be blessed by God, here's the way. Put God first. 
And, and by the way, here's not the way. Don't try and rely on some scheme. Don't try and rely, uh, rely on some magical formula. Don't do what those people are doing. See, when he said it to them, it made sense. Now to us, I mean, especially if you're an animal lover, you don't have to tell me not to boil a goat in his mother's milk. I'm like, that's just wrong. You just don't, you don't have to put that in the Bible. That ain't happening in my house. But for them, people thought that they could be blessed in some other way. And you know what this is really saying to us? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, where there is no shifting of shadow. Every gift comes from God. So you don't have to try some little scheme. I have to try some incantation or, or, or anything else to try and find the blessing of God. Here is the plan for the blessing of God. Put God first. Be a good steward. That's the plan. Steward resources towards God, and that's how you get the blessing. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things will be added unto you. God wants to bless your life. If you'll follow his pattern for blessing. I, I read a story of Jack Hayford. He's like America's pastor. He's in his 80s now. But when he was five years old, he did his chores at the house. And he received his first allowance. It was 10 cents. And instead of giving him a dime, his dad gave him a nickel and five pennies. And then he sat him down and he began to teach little five-year-old Jack the scriptures about tithing and what 10% means. And he said, Jack, one penny out of your allowance is the Lord's. It's not an offering, it's the tithe. The Bible says the tithe is the Lord's. You need to give one penny out of your 10 cents to the Lord. And so he did. He took his little one penny to church and he, and he gave that penny and that lesson stuck with him. But he said years later when he was uh, an adult and married and, and doing pretty well in the ministry, he remembered the first time that he received a paycheck that exceeded $1,000. And he went to write his tithe out and he realized for the first time in his life that his tithe was going to be three digits. And immediately he was like, Ooh, Lord, I... That's going to be a big check. I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do that. And Jack Hafer tells the story. He says, in that moment, I just, I just heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Jack, it's still one penny out of every dime. And with faith, he wrote the check. And in all of his years, from five till in his eighties, he has still faithfully given one penny of every dime to the Lord. And God has richly blessed his life because of it. Here's the fourth question I want to give you. The last question. What's the promise of my stewardship? We've talked about what the purpose is. It's honor the Lord. Looking at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 again. Honor the Lord. That's your purpose. With your wealth. That's the product. With the first fruits. That's the priority of all your crops. Now here's the promise. Verse 10. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your barns will be filled. That means God's going to bless you. Now, I, I don't have any barns, but I do have bank account. And so he was saying, your resources are going to be satisfied. God's going to bless you if you'll put me first in this way. Malachi chapter 3 says this, bring the whole tithe. Bring the whole 10% into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see. 
and see. You know, God doesn't say test me about anything else. But on this, He does. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Let me just pause right here because there's been a lot of manipulation of God's word in America. This verse does not mean God's going to make you rich. Can I I just tell you, I have three beautiful daughters and they are all healthy. You can't put a price tag on that. And the Bible says if I'll be faithful to serve the Lord with the whole tithe, He will open up the windows of heaven and pour out more blessing than I can contain. I have a beautiful wife. Can I just tell you, God has blessed me with a beautiful wife, with beautiful children. We live in a great community. I serve an awesome church. I can't begin to put a price tag on the favor of God. And neither can you. And you'd be remiss if you tried. You can't reconcile numbers with God's economy. But you always come out on top when you steward what He gives you. God is a rewarder of those that seek Him with all their hearts. And I just want to tell you this morning, it's not wrong to ask for God's blessing. It is not wrong to ask God to bless you. Jacob wrestled with God all night. He wrestled with God in prayer. He said, Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He wanted the favor of God on his life. He wasn't asking for a Mercedes. If you have a Mercedes, great. God bless you. But there's no promise in the Bible that says we're all going to get rich, that we're all going to get big cars, that we should all start naming and claiming those things. It's ridiculous. But God is a good God. And He wants to bless your life. And it's okay to say, God, would you bless my life? Would you favor my life? I want to end with this story and then we're going we're gonna to pray together. I was reading about the Crusades that were fought during the 12th century. Many of you studied the Crusades in school. Maybe you know this, but the Crusaders, they employed mercenaries to fight on their behalf. They hired mercenaries to come in and fight on their behalf. And because it was a religious war, the crusaders insisted that the mercenaries be baptized first before they could fight for them. And so all the mercenaries that were hired by the crusaders were baptized in water so that they could fight this holy war. But they did something at their water baptism. Every one of them, when they were baptized in water, they would hold their sword up out of the water so they would go under the water of baptism but they would hold their sword out of the water and that signified that this is the one thing that I have full control of that we'll fight your holy war but this sword I control the sword I fight when and how I fight and you know there's a lot of people today that are are living in a relationship with Jesus like that that they aligned with the salvation message they gave their hearts to Jesus they want Jesus to bless their life but symbolically they go under the water and they hold their wallet or their purse out they go God this is the one thing that I can't trust you with you can be Lord of everything else but not my finances because I've crunched the numbers and there's just not there's just no way there's no way it would work And I want to end where I started in saying anything, anything that we hold on to and don't surrender to the Lord becomes an idol in our lives. In the same way that Jesus put his finger on the issue with that rich young ruler and said, this is your issue. You need to sell all your possessions. The Holy Spirit might be putting his finger on an issue in your life. It might be a bad habit you've got. It might. Let's just stop talking about money for a moment and recognize that the Spirit of God 
wants to put the finger of God on your heart and say, here's what you lack. Give that up and come follow me. Here's what you lack. Break away from that bad pattern and follow me. And yes, for some of us, here's what you lack. You haven't trusted me with my blessing. You haven't been faithful to trust me with the tithe. And so you haven't aligned yourself with the blessing of God. Here's what you lack. I want to bless you. Look, when, we, when we're baptized in water, it signifies that I died with Christ. And now I live a resurrected life. I want my finances to have resurrection life. And God wants to bless you in your homes. I, I want to pray for you. And then we're going to end this service, as I said earlier, by receiving a special offering. So let me pray for you first. God, I just thank you that, that you're here in this place with us. And, and even when we talk about something like money, that doesn't in any way hinder the Holy Spirit from dealing with the hearts of men. I believe that right here in this place, the finger of God is at an issue in, in someone's heart today. It may or may not have anything to do with money. But the reality is anything that we put in our lives above our relationship with Jesus becomes the barrier wall between us and a living relationship with God. And God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And so I'm just asking you right now to be honest with the Spirit of God that's examining your heart to see that thing, that issue, that relationship, that bondage, that fear that you haven't let go of. Whatever it may be, that is keeping you from just surrendering your life to God and saying, okay, God, I absolutely trust you completely. Whatever that thing is that's keeping you from fully committing to Jesus, I want to just invite you to put it down in this moment right now to not do what the rich young ruler did. The Bible says he hung his head and he went away sad because he was wealthy. Some of you... The devil wants you to hang your head in shame and leave because you're addicted. Because you've been hurt by the church. He wants you to hang your head in shame and leave because you're too ashamed of what you've done. You think your past is too bad. I want to tell you there's nothing that is keeping you from the grace of God today except your unwillingness to let go of whatever that thing is that the Spirit of God is pointing to today. So right now.